Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. Mark chapter 1, one of the things we looked at last week is that how key and important it is for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we looked at how through the Gospels, Jesus would always call people to himself. And even now, Jesus is always calling us to himself. And it's not just a salvation call. It's during the day, during the week, he's bringing us to himself, to asking us to turn towards him. And if we would turn towards him, we would have the instruction that we need. If we would turn towards him during the day, we would experience peace instead of anxiety. But this comes from relationship, not just having some good principles to follow. A lot of people have trouble standing on the promises of God is because they stand on promises without a relationship. It's easy to believe a promise will come to pass when you have a relationship. It's hard to believe a promise will come to pass if you only know a set of facts. So Mark chapter 1, verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought unto Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, how many would describe that as a successful encounter? A successful meeting. Jesus didn't have to go get them. He went to the synagogue, preached, then he went right next door to Peter's house, ministered healing to his mother-in-law. The mother-in-law got healed, and she cooked dinner for everybody. They opened the door on the porch, and guess what? The whole city has showed up. Now remember, this is not just any city. This is the city Jesus just moved to. So now this is his hometown. The whole, your whole new hometown is at the door. And it says everybody he prayed for got healed. Anybody who was possessed was delivered. This seems like I'm going to stay here for a few days because everything is working. But early the next morning before anybody woke up, notice what it says. That he went to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. As we covered a few weeks ago, Jesus determined his course by prayer. He didn't, like the, he didn't let the success of the moment determine what he was going to do. As we looked earlier in this chapter and in this story, what was going on at this time, when he was in Nazareth, he had what we would have called a failure. Even though he did exactly what God wanted him to do, they kicked him out of the city. They tried to kill him. Some of us say, well, I'm not going to preach anymore because it didn't work the first time. Or I'm not going to do this anymore because it didn't work the first time. He did not let the situation or the circumstance determine his direction. How many times have you let your situation and your circumstance determine which way you go? How did Jesus determine his course? By prayer. We see this, especially in the Gospel of John. He says, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. 
If we're going to follow the example of our Lord and Savior, we need to make sure we determine our course by prayer and not by circumstance. By prayer, not by situation. By prayer, not by results and outcome. Results are great, but they can't determine what we do. Jesus said that he was bound to the will. He, does, he said, I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Well, how do you know that will? By prayer. You determine the course you go by prayer. You let prayer be your compass. Instead of looking at everything outward, I'm going to do this because this happened outside. Well, how many know anything outside could change? Let's use a natural example. We live in Georgia. The weather could change at a moment's notice. Sunshiny, hot, humid, storm, and five minutes later. Ten minutes later, gone. Moments notice. So how many know if you make plans by what you see outside? It looks dry right now. You could be soaked. But some of you is like, you know what, I got an app on my phone, and I'm going to look at my phone and determine all the different weather changes that could happen in the day. Now, if we know enough to check our phone for the weather, can't we check in with the Spirit of God for directions for life? Through prayer, we determine our course, not because of what happens in the outside world. Go with me to Luke chapter 6. Prayer is the fuel for the superhuman life. So if you want superhuman, supernatural results, you're going to have to be a person of prayer. Now, in one of the Psalms, David said it this way. He says, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it's I am prayer. Is your life full of prayer to a point that you can identify at being prayer? Smith Wilkesworth said it this way. He says, I don't pray longer than 15 minutes, but I don't go 15 minutes without praying. Somebody's like, you know, I would love to pray a couple hours in a row, but like, Lord, the way my attention span is set up, that ain't going to happen. Just be honest. You know yourself. But even if you can only pray at short bursts of time, don't go long periods without praying. We live in Atlanta. There's traffic every single day. All hours of the day. Does that make sense? Nope, but that's what it is. So instead of being frustrated that you're in traffic again, take some time with that and pray. Notice what it says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out, he being Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And know some things we also see with Jesus. There are times he would take time away to pray. But also, we'll see there are times you take extended times away to pray. And notice what happened after he did this extended time of prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. Notice he's calling them to himself again. And from them, he chose, from the disciples, remember, it wasn't just the 12 around Jesus. You had the other 70 as well as many people traveled with Jesus on a regular basis. So from this group, he called 12, whom we also named apostles. Simon, whom we also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. He's like, well, what's the Zealot? It's a political party. Now, it's not any political party. These were the political people. So, you know, anybody know someone that you can't spend five minutes with without them bringing up politics? That was Simon. See, a lot of times we think about the disciples and the apostles, oh, these are just mature people, and they all got along. Jesus was constantly putting out fights among the 12. 
What are you reading? This is they were arguing about stuff continually. And they're all different ages. Peter's probably the oldest, and John is probably the youngest when he studied it out. They have different backgrounds. Some come from more of a financial background. Some come from different backgrounds. Some are businessmen. Some are tax collectors. And the thing is, you may not like taxes being collected, but back then it was a whole different ballgame. Matthew was a tax collector. He was considered the enemy. Because tax collectors back then could go, well, 10000 for Caesar, 10000 for me. 10000 for Caesar, 10000 for me. And when he looked at Matthew or a tax collector, they considered him a sellout because he worked for the enemy. Yet he was one of the 12 apostles. And then you had this dude who couldn't go five minutes without talking about politics, who wanted to bring the kingdom of God in by force. So he was ready to go to war. This is the group that Jesus called out. So he said, well, I'm different. That's why he called you. Don't think you have to fit in some cookie-cutter mold to be used by God. We're all different. We all have different personalities. But how do we determine what we do with all our different personalities? We determine the course of our life by prayer, not by our personality. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Another message. Because the thing is, he didn't start as a traitor. So he became a traitor. He wasn't a traitor when Jesus called him. He became one. When? When he got offended. Because, you know, Jesus called him. He was a thief. Well, yeah, Jesus will call you. You got some issues you need to work out. That's why it says in the epistles to some of the churches that were behaving better, steal no more. Get your own job. Work with your hands. Stop gossiping. Stop going to people's houses, being a busybody. Mind your business. That's what it says in the letters. You got to read the letters. Y'all read them like, oh, holy people, same people as of today. Judas was a thief. You read the Gospel of John, he would steal from the treasury on a regular basis. Now, look, if you broke, you don't need a treasury. If you have two pennies in your coffer, you don't need a treasure. You can tell there are two pennies still there. But Judas was the treasurer. He said he kept the money. And on a regular basis, you know if anybody was watching the money, you know Matthew was. And Peter, too, because you already know Peter's personality. But there's so much in Jesus' treasury, they couldn't tell that Judas was taken off a little bit on the side. So you remember the whole story about the... Uh, alabaster box, the one who broke it on Jesus' feet, and they said, it's a waste. When you read the gospel, it's Judas who said it was a waste. And the scriptures, not because he cared about the poor. He said, it's a waste. We should have sold it and given the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about his cut. So when you hear all the reporters say, oh, they should have spent, this church should have spent it on this. Remember who they're quoting. And when Jesus told them, no, she did this for my burial. And wherever this gospel was preached, they'll talk about this as a memorial to her. Notice after it says, Judas looked for opportunities to betray him. Jesus put a cut to a stealing habit because I was going to be a big score. The alabaster box, that's worth at least a year's earnings. That was a big score. But notice, he went to betray Jesus for some money. Now, he probably thought, they can't get Jesus. 
They've tried to kill Jesus multiple times by this point. You know what? They can't catch him, and I'll make some more money in the meantime, and I'll stay close. You better be careful of these bad habits you've developed that Jesus has been checking you on, because Judas didn't start a traitor. He became one. He was offended. He didn't deal with what Jesus told him to deal with. And then when he saw what his actions caused, he was so full of grief, he killed himself. Yet he walked with Jesus over three years. We all have choices to make. And you know what the rest of the apostles could have done? They could have been so mad at what Judas did, they could have quit. But do you know they didn't let someone else's betrayal determine their course? They didn't let someone else's betrayal determine their future? How do they determine their future? By the leading of God. How do you get the leading of God? In prayer. You can't let what people do determine what you do. Because guess what? People are people. And people will do people things. And you is a people, and you will do people things. So what should you do? Determine your future by what is God leading you to do. And don't make decisions about your future based off of offense and bitterness and betrayal. Because if you don't heal help properly from betrayal and bitterness and all the other stuff, you'll keep listening to bitterness and call it the Holy Ghost. You have to understand harassing spirits know how to sound religious when they need to. But why is the harassing spirit there? You let it stay. You refuse to forgive everybody of everything, and you decided to stay mad because you have a right to be mad. You do have a right to be mad. But Ephesians tells you that you're supposed to deal with your anger within 24 hours. And if you stay in anger longer than that, you are giving place, the Scripture says, to the devil. That word place, topos, means landmass. It's the same word that we used to describe neighborhood. Anytime you decide to stay in anger, you're singing to Satan, won't you be my neighbor? Who have you invited to your neighborhood? Some of you get annoyed by neighbors not doing what you want them to do, but you've invited Satan into your house because you don't deal with your anger. And I'm not just talking to those of you who lash out with your mouth when you know you're not supposed to. I'm not talking to you just the mouthy ones. I'm talking to the internal people that nobody knows that you're ticked off because you know how to cover it well. And see, I can talk to you internal people because I am one of you. I remember a number of years ago, we were in a meeting and something happened in the ministry and I was hot, but nobody could tell except one other person in that room who had my same personality. Because someone said, Pastor, how can you be so calm right now? And they spoke up, he's not calm, he's furious. And I was. But how many know if I stayed in anger, it'll mess up a whole lot of stuff. Because you know, if you make decisions based in anger, you are prone to do stupid things. How many times have you made decisions rooted in anger? You look back like, ooh, mm. That's why we don't determine our course of actions by emotions, because our emotions are as fleeting as the Georgia weather. We have to determine our course by prayer. That's how we live the supernatural life. 
And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd, and his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For power, this is miraculous power, went out from him and healed them all. Now, when we look at what Jesus was praying about, he's receiving direction about what 12 to choose. He chose the 12, but he spent all night in prayer. And what was the result of him being in prayer? Power flowed out of him. When you dedicate more time to prayer, power will flow from you. And it's not just healing power or delivering power, even though that's included. It's the power you need from your everyday life. You need an outflow of power in your life. You know what? I have to charge my phone before I use it. If I don't charge my phone before I leave the house, guess what? It's going to go to yellow and red and stop working. There's no power for my device. Have you run out of power in your life? Because the last time you charged up was last Sunday. If you showed up or watched online. If. Big if. If. You have to have a relationship with Jesus because from that relationship flows power. And it's we've lived too long as a society with a powerless church. We've been a political church. We've had political opinions. We've done all the natural things, but then there's been no power. A prayerless church cannot make a difference in society. Sure, you can change some laws, but you can't change any hearts. And you can make every law right, but if the heart of the people are rebellious, nothing will change. I'm not against right or good laws, but I'm telling you that if we want the world to change, we have to be a church that is dedicated to prayer. Not just praying when we gather, but individually we are praying people. That causes change, not only in our lives, but it flows from us and changes our neighborhoods and our community. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at some other things Jesus said about prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. And we're going to start talking about what he says about alms or charitable deeds so we can set the context. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed or pay attention that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Notice Jesus didn't say don't do charitable deeds. He didn't say don't do charitable deeds in public. He said don't do charitable deeds so that you can be seen. Don't do charitable deeds just so you can get Instagram likes. Don't do charitable deeds just so that your video gets shared a lot of times. Don't do it to be seen. He didn't say you can't be seen, but what is he talking about? Your motive. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Now, we've taken that word hypocrite and turned to something that it doesn't mean. The word hypocrite means an actor. An actor who put a mask on. It's a theater term. 
He says, don't do your charitable deeds like an actor. Don't put your mask on and put the trumpet out and everybody sees what you're doing so they can say how great thou art. He says, don't do that. Because if you do that, you have your reward. And what is the reward? For people to say, wow, they're such a good person. Your likes on Instagram, your shares, your people patting you on the back, that is your reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Once again, motive. There are reasons to give publicly. There's multiple reasons to give publicly. But now we're talking about motive. When you give publicly, make sure you're giving for the right reason and not for people to see you. There are a number of reasons to give publicly. Here's number one. You're a parent. You give publicly so your kids can see it. Why? So that they do the same thing. What is the motive? Training your children to be generous. There are reasons to give publicly, but it goes back to motive. Now, understanding this, let's go to verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. So when you pray, don't be like the actors. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, is he saying that you can't pray in public or pray out loud? No. He's saying don't pray to be seen like the actors do. Don't put on your mask and sound the trumpet and look at me, I'm praying. I know how to string these words together. Aren't I religious, holy, and pious? Look at me. Because he says, if that is what you want, that will be your reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, one translation said, your prayer closet. You say, well, I have to have a prayer closet to have a prayer life. No, not really, but if you have a prayer closet, man, light that place up. But what is the passage telling us? Pray with the right motive. Don't pray to be seen, because if you pray to be seen, your reward is that you'll be seen. Our prayer life is not so people can see us. Oh, they spend time in prayer. That's why when Jesus said, hey, when you fast, put some lotion on. <laughs> so you don't look ashy. Ooh, something's wrong with them. They look so ashy and hungry. No, put some lotion on. Because if you're fasting so people can see you, you got your reward. It doesn't mean you can't tell people you're fasting. Say, oh, go to lunch with me. I can't go to lunch with you. I'm fasting right now. It doesn't mean you can't say that. It's the motive. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. What is it talking about? As pagan religions. Don't pray like the pagans pray. And he says, how do they pray? Using vain repetition, which is translated empty phrases or thoughtless repetition. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So he's summing up how other pagan religions, how pagan religions pray. They think that they're heard because they say a lot of stuff. Empty phrases and thoughtless words. Don't be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So it doesn't mean you can't pray talking a lot if some of you are very talkative people. And some of us like, oh, talk to God. We, the rest of us need a break. Doesn't mean you can't talk to God a lot? No. 
It means don't think you're going to be heard because you say a lot of empty phrases and you just repeat things thoughtlessly. No. Pray what you mean. Heartfelt, earnest prayers based on the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, are effective. Just repeating empty phrases that mean nothing aren't going to get you results. They're not going to get you rewards. So Jesus talked about the actors, and they talk about pagan religions. The actors think they got a reward. They don't have the reward they think coming. And if you think you're going to get rewards because you say a lot of stuff over and over and over and over and over again, and say, ooh, I prayed for three hours today, you, you ain't getting what you think. So notice this instruction concerning prayer. Go with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Look at verse 1 this time. So saying empty and thoughtless phrases for a long time is not effective praying. Praying heartfelt prayers based on the Word of God and being led by the Spirit of God in prayer is effective praying. Let's look at some other things Jesus said about prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that when he stopped that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed. Because remember, John the Baptist, two of his disciples were part of Jesus' crew. And I'm sure there's other followers of John the Baptist and Jesus' overall disciples outside of the 12. But there was some way, a way that Jesus prayed that they said, we want to learn how to pray like you pray. How many of the way Jesus prayed was different than everybody else? So they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. And notice what he said. And we'll get into a little bit today and look at the rest later on this month. He said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father. Pause. Notice how he's telling them to address God. He's your Father. One of the things you see throughout the gospel is Jesus saying, I'm ascending to my God, to your God, to my Father, to your Father. This is a revelation shift for a lot of them, that God is their Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it's worship. Before you ask for anything, worship. Before you ask for anything, give thanks. Before you ask for anything, thank him for something. Don't just say, well, God, I need this, 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 that, that. No, no. Father, thank you. You are holy. You are mighty. You are good. Start with praise and worship. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll get into this later, but notice one of the ways we bring heaven to earth, manifest heaven on earth, through prayer. Notice what it says next. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Now, one of the things we know, this is something Jesus prayed before the cross, before the resurrection, before the ascension, before us being de declared just and made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And he's telling, the way they pray for forgiveness of sins is not the same way we would pray. We just say, Father, because of the blood of Jesus, we confess our sins, and you're faithful just to forgive us, and we're cleansed from that unrighteousness. But this also reminds you that you need to forgive others, just like God forgave you. Because a lot of times we want to forgive people in a certain way, and the Bible tells us to forgive people the way God forgave us. Now, when God forgave you, did he said, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it? When God forgave you, did he said, you know what, that's one? Three strikes, you're out. 
the scripture says to forgive others as God forgave us. It keeps on going. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I saw another translation this morning. It said, Lord, rescue us from ourselves and the devil. I said, ooh, that's a good prayer. Rescue us from ourselves and the devil. No, it was the first one, me. Rescue me from me. Rescue me from my issues, my opinions, my thoughts, my attitudes, my emotions, how I feel when I'm hungry. You know, rescue me from me. And we all can pray that. Come on, let's pray together. Say, God, rescue me from me. Because sometimes the real enemy is not others, it's not the devil, but it's you. It's like, oh, God, the devil did this. And the guy's like, nope, it wasn't the devil. That was you. You were bad all by yourself. You didn't need any powers from hell to make this situation. You did that by yourself. So it was an honest prayer. It was like, God, help me with me today. Come on, you know yourself well enough. God, help me with my mouth. Help me with my facial reactions. Because some of us, we can control our mouth, but come on, come on, be with me right now. Anybody got some facial expressions? You keep your mouth shut, but your face can testify a thousand words. Yes, I'm not alone up here in this place. God, help me with my attitude. Help me with this. You know what you need help in daily, so ask him to help you. The scripture says he lives within you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he will help you do what is right and want to do what is right, but you need to ask for help. You don't got this by yourself. You need a savior. Anybody need a savior? I need a savior. Come on, he didn't just save us from sin. He saves us from something every single day. And sometimes he saves us from ourselves. So notice what says next. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, leave me alone. My door is closed. My kids are in bed asleep. I don't want to wake them up because if I wake them up, I'm going to be up all night. You, you know what that, that's what that meant. Anybody else knows what that meant? If your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, are you up for the rest of the night too? Anybody else can testify to that fact? He says, don't. But notice what says next. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, because he keeps knocking. He will get up and give him as many as he needs. He asks for three, but if this can get you to leave me alone, what else do you want? You need some bread, some milk, some sugar. What else do you need? Some cinnamon. What do you need? Because of his what? Persistence. Say persistence. So I say to you, ask. Within the context, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks in this way receives, and he who seeks in this way finds, and to him knocks in this way, it will be opened. So what is Jesus emphasizing here? Persistence in prayer. Not praying one time and getting discouraged because it didn't happen immediately. 
staying persistent in prayer. He goes on and says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? No. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? No. Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say much more. Come on, let's say it again. Put it in the chat. Say much more. Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we can see so many things about this passage, but one of it is, remember, you're praying to your Father. And the second thing is, you need to be persistent in prayer. Jesus echoes this again in Luke chapter 18, so let's go there. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Persistence in prayer is a key to an effective prayer life that fuels the superhuman life. Persistence is key. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. So what is the purpose of the parable? That everybody should pray and not lose heart or not give up. Because a lot of times people read this parable making it into many things. What is the purpose of the parable? That we should keep on praying and not give up. Say, keep on praying. Don't give up. And he says, there was in a, a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this woman gets on my nerves, that's what the New King James means, troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me down. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. Key on unjust. Because God is not an unjust judge. He's a just judge, right? Say, our Father is a just judge. Come on, let's say it again and put it in the chat. Say, our Father is a just judge. So Jesus, pay attention to what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? What is that? Persistence. Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. That God will come through for you. He will avenge you. He will give you justice. He will give you recompense. He'll give you what you need. You need to stay in prayer and not give up in prayer just because the outside circumstances look different. Notice what Jesus says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Which lets you know that at the end times, and we live in the end times, there'll be a great attack made on walking by faith and great pressure or great distraction to get you to depart from your prayer life. Because Jesus says, when I return, well, I find faith. So that means he's looking for faith. We saw that in the Gospels, where he's commenting on people's faith. Man, you have great faith. Man, you got good faith. Man, where did your faith go? And even personally, we told Peter, Peter, why did you doubt? When we read that, don't just read in general, oh, why would a person doubt? No, Peter, Peter, you know me by now. Peter, you've been walking with me for a while now. Peter, you know me personally. Peter, why did you and Jesus saying here, when I come back, will I find faith? Well, I want to say on behalf of Faith Christian Center, you will find some faith in this place. 
as individuals, as families, as a church. You will find faith with us. We're going to stay in the place of prayer, knowing that God will avenge us, that God will give us justice, that God hears and answers our prayer. Jesus goes on talking about prayer, and also he spoke this parable, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Notice who he's talking to now. Those who trusted in themselves for their own righteousness, right? And despised others. So he's talking to people who thought they were righteous because of what they did, and they were looking down on everybody else. So he's not talking to the whole crowd. He's talking to some specific people in the crowd. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee. And remember, Pharisee, it's a religious doctor of the law. They are the religious of the religious. They have the outfits. When people saw them, they thought of fulfilling all the religious requirements of the law when they saw them. So the word Pharisee doesn't mean much to us today, but this is the religious of the religious. They got all the reverend doctor titles. They got the whole flowing robe, nothing along those robes or whatever, but this is what they saw when they saw a Pharisee. So he said, a Pharisee goes to the temple to pray, and a tax collector goes to the temple to pray. Remember, a tax collector is the enemy to the people. They call them a traitor. So here goes the person you think is the most religious and pious person on the planet goes into the temple, and then your enemy goes to the temple. Jesus is a master storyteller. He has created tension in this story. But notice his language on it. It's so, it's so amazing. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice what Jesus said. He prayed with himself. Himself, not God, himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this dude, he is praying. God, I thank you I'm not like everybody else, especially like, like, like this dude, like this brother over here, this tax collector. You know he's not praying quietly because they're no actors. He's loud. I'm glad I'm not like this brother right here. And Jesus said he was praying only with himself. And the tax collector, your enemy, the traitor, Standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice also the tax collector is the only one who asks for anything. He asks for mercy. Another translation said, I'm a sinner. What he's asking for? Forgiveness. The Pharisee didn't ask for anything. He just says, God, look at me. I did everything right this week, Jesus. I deserve a reward, God. I did everything right. Not like him. And this dude, who probably did everything wrong that week, at least knew I need to come and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus said, one left righteous one left justified or one left declared by the courts of heaven not guilty. And it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the person they considered the enemy of the people. Now, when we go to God in prayer, we don't go based on our works. God, I read the Bible today. Look at my YouVersion Bible app. I got a streak going on, Jesus. I read the Bible. 
Look, come on, Jesus. You know what? I actually went to bed early to wake up to pray. I didn't cuss out my neighbor. I didn't tell that person on 285 that they're number one. I'm doing pretty good this week, Jesus. That's not how we come to God. Now, if you're saved, you don't come to God saying that you're a sinner either. You know, so God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. You ain't a sinner. What are you? After Jesus died, been buried, has raised from the dead, and ascended to the right hand, said he died for your sins, but he was raised to declare you just or righteous or not guilty. So when you come to God, you come to God, as 2 Corinthians says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is your standing, and because you have that standing, at any time you want, you can come before God and ask for what you want, because you have standing. No, not everybody can talk in a courtroom. Only those with standing can. You can talk in the courtroom in the throne room of heaven because you have standing, and you actually got a seat that's reserved for you. Ephesians 1 and 2 says you're seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. So you can come before him anytime you want. So you don't come, even if you sinned and done something stupid, you don't come, God, oh, I'm a sinner. You say, God, Father, I come to you. That's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I realize what I've done. It's wrong. I confess it as wrong. I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me from this unrighteousness. What is that, 1 John 1, 9? You calling it wrong is confessing it. It's judging it. And as you judge, say, that is wrong. You ask for forgiveness. God cleans you up and treats you like it's never happened. But just because you sinned, if you're a Christian, just because you sinned doesn't make you a sinner. Because before you were a Christian, you might have done some good things right, but it didn't make you saved or righteous. Nothing changes your standing. Righteousness is your standing. Holiness should be your conduct. And so what happens when your conduct does not line up to the Word of God? You repent. You ask God to forgive you. You don't have to pull out your hair and cry all night long, you just ask God to forgive you. And then you believe that he did because he keeps his word. Don't beat yourself up because of what you did. Did God beat you up? No. You know, the scripture says it's not even the Holy Ghost who's convicting you of sin, Christian. First John says it's your heart. It's your heart telling you that was stupid. You need to repent. And so what do you do? You repent. And you thank God that God forgave you. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was a terrorist before he got saved. He was killing and jailing Christians. He was consumed by it. But after he was born again, Jesus never brought up his past again. So don't bring up your past either. Even if your past was right before you came into this building, don't bring it up. Because if God has forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself. And you need to make sure you're not always hanging in a crowd that's going to remind you about your past. I'm not saying you need to cut them off completely and never talk to them again, but you can't go with them to some of the places that they go to. Why? Oh, are you better than them? No, you just know you ain't them. So sometimes living holy and righteous means I'm not going to do what I used to do. And if you have a struggle in a certain area, that means I'm not even going to go to that area because I know that's where I struggle. Or you don't go to certain areas because you don't want to let your good be evil spoken of. So you're making decisions based off of your relationship and what Jesus has done for you. 
Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's bring this to a close. This is helping anybody today. So to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And look at verse 14. We've looked at what Jesus taught us about prayer today. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession or our profession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What does it mean? He gets it. Because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet he went through it all and he didn't sin. Jesus gets it. Say, Jesus gets it. He gets it. You have a high priest who gets it. Now, one of the things is when you understand that you've been born again, you are a priest. You're a holy priesthood. That's what the scripture says. And a priest had different daily obligations they were due. Part of it was burning incense. Now, you don't need to burn incense for God. That's not what the scripture is telling you to do. If you like how it smells in your home, more power to you. But you don't need to burn incense to serve God. But one of the things we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that prayer is scripturally and figuratively referred to as incense. And the priest at times in the morning and at night will let the incense rise unto God as worship and as prayer. And so in the same way, we as believers are to let prayer rise like incense. And the thing is, remember, you're a priest, right? The scripture tells us the Holy Spirit helps us pray what we should when we don't know what to pray. But you have a high priest who would take what you offer and present it to God on your behalf. And so when you live a life of prayer and praying the way Jesus taught us to pray and praying how we see in the New Testament prayer, guess what? There's more offering before your Father in heaven. There's more for him to respond to. That's why it says next, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. It didn't say crawl there. It didn't say tiptoe there. Walk in there like you belong because you do. Think about any of the kids who've grown up in the White House. When they walk into the over office, it's a little bit different. Why? It's not just the over office. It's the office of their father. So they walk in with a little bit of boldness different than everybody else. Other people are like, oh, I'm in the over office. I was like, I'm in my dad's office. When you go to the throne of God, remember, you're in your dad's office. Walk in there with some boldness because you belong there. He's happy to see you. It's not like, mm, I kind of don't want to see you today. So I, mm, my calendar is not have an open spot for you. I heard what you said 10 minutes ago. I need to take a break from you right now. He's happy to see you. Come boldly. Come with confidence to the throne of God. That you may obtain mercy. So that means if you need mercy, that's where you go. And find grace to help in the time of need. So when it concerns prayer, when you come before God, you come with boldness because you know you belong there. That God wants to hear from you. That God wants you to appear before him. Right? There's a spot for you. It's a whole different mindset. Some people are afraid to pray because they did something stupid. Look, if that's how we had operated in prayer, some of us would never pray. Think about it. Jesus gets it. Now, he doesn't want you to stay at that place. But when you do do something stupid, you go quickly to God. Don't run from God. Run to God. And don't wait to turn to him. 
It's like, oh, I'll deal with this tomorrow in my prayer closet. You really going to wait that long? Wherever you are, talk to him. Well, I'm around people. I can't talk out loud. Who says you got to talk out loud? Well, if I move my mouth like this, I'm thinking I'm crazy. Who said you had to move your mouth? Some of you have internal conversations with yourself all the time. Some of you are the best narrators that Hollywood has never met. You be narrating your life on the inside. With that same inside voice, talk to your father. Ask for his help. Ask for his assistance. That's what we mean by turning to him. Not just in church or in your times of prayer, but throughout your life. Because as we sang earlier, he's with you. James 5, 16, New Living Translation. I'll read it to you as we close. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Well, what is the earnest heartfelt prayers that we've been talking about? Praying like we talked about today. And praying the way we'll talk about this month. You pray this way, it'll produce great power and it'll produce wonderful results. You'll experience miracles. The power to live the superhuman life. Stand to your feet. Glory to the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you for what you share with us today. Help us not just to be hearers of this word, but to be doers of this word so we can be blessed in our doing. Help us to live a life of prayer and be conscious of turning to you throughout the day and praying as we should, not as the actors do or not as the pagan religions you talk about there, but as you told us in your word today. Praying in this way so there's an outflow of power for our life, from our life. Praying in this way that makes a difference. That only affects our lives and our families, but changes our community and our neighborhoods and our city and our state. We can only do this with your help. We realize that we need you and we depend on you. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast and then we have our daily devotional podcast which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember something good is going to happen to you today so expect miracles. God bless.